Good morning, comrades. This is TRSI. Not the right side, as it was once called. Actual TRSI, which is what we're listed on Spotify and uh, Apple Podcasts and all of those things as just a, a small note that you, we have actually changed the way the Grip Podcasts are uploaded now. And you can now individually um, subscribe to podcasts such as this or Patricia's Cooking Stuff or the Parenting Podcast or whatever. Uh, if you go to Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and I think a couple of others over the the coming time. But we're on a lot of those things now, and you can do that. But anyway, I'm here today with my friend, uh, colleague, and comrade Michael. Today, we are going to be discussing anti-fascism, or more exactly, anti-fa, and <laughs> what it is. You made it sound like a, a, a musical notation, anti-fa. Far, no, 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 to wrong. What? Before we do that, what does the I stand for in TRSI? Ireland. Okay, very good. Yeah, so it's it's the right side, Ireland. So anti-fa, the anti-fascists, uh, they have become. Well, they're not new, but they're in the in the in this in this shall we say in this particular incarnation they are they are a new thing and they have spread. We won't. We'll, we'll avoid the obvious. They've spread across the globe and are now engaged in. They're even here in our own little island. But well, first of all, I suppose let's. Shall we have it? We have a quick peruse of the the backgrounds that leads up to what is the modern manifestation event. Now there are certain things I suppose we should. I would. I would say any are pointless trying to do this context. We'd maybe talk a bit about that. And one is the fact. Of trying to define fascism because if we're deciding they are anti-fascist, precisely what a fascist is 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 um, an open question. Very few people seem to bother that stuff. But the thing is, the anti-fascist groups, well, as, as with that name, like uh, the the first is the uh, Antifascistische Aktion, which is a German organization that starts in the thirties as a res- as a response to the National Socialist Movement in Germany, and it's it's a band. It's mostly uh, syndicalists, Marxists, anarchists, but you get a script. You get some sort of social libertarian, socialist libertarians, social democrats uh, in there. Even some, even some liberal Christians get involved in this kind of thing. Well, I suppose the nineteen thirties Germany. It's a pretty reasonable thing to be involved in. Yeah, I mean, it was led by Ernst Thälmann, who was very much not a liberal or uh, anything of the sort. He was fairly hardline communist who's leader of the communist party of germany yes the kpd uh an anti-fascist action was very very much of the communist party yeah it was actually kpd wasn't just a communist party it was a stalinist party well yes without getting too much into knitting patterns ideological knitting patterns it's in a sense it's stalin that becomes the pope of the left and defines what is to be considered left and what is to be considered right. Fascism itself comes out of uh, a left-wing sensibility. Mussolini was one of Italy's most prominent socialists. Before the First World War, he had been the editor of the largest socialist newspaper. And a lot of the early fascists weren't so, weren't, were, were socialists. They saw, this, they saw fascism as a revolutionary movement. And certainly, while they were opposed to communism, because communism has, didn't understand recognize the nation they're also very deeply opposed to re- reactionary conservatism would be represented people like the maestro the word from the international from stalin in the early 20s 
pretty well defines who is. Everybody who is not a Stalinist is a reaction. And that position has pretty well been accepted by the consciously or unconsciously by the bulk of people on the on the on the far left uh, around the world since then. Yeah, I mean this this is something we're saying there about the issue with defining fascism, and it is actually quite a difficult thing to define, largely because of the people who have been classed as fascists, because there's quite a large difference between even what would be considered the fascist states, like the South American fascist states. Very different from most of the others, but still get lumped in together. But I think it is important to understand how fascist was used by the Communist Party of Germany and how it was used by anti-fascistic action, because it's used in the same way by Antifa today. And fascism to the KPD was the final stage of capitalism. So to say that you were against fascism was to say you were against capitalism. I think that's the core. There's a there's a guy called Bernhard Langer, uh, by whom I'm I don't actually know, but I'm assuming that we don't mean Bernhard Langer the golfer. But he was a Bernd Langer actually, not Bernd. He wrote a book called Eighty Years of of Anti Fascist Action, and uh, was a former member of Antifa. And he makes the point that anti fascism, quoting here, anti fascism is a strategy rather than an ideology for an anti-capitalist form of struggle. It's part of the doctrine of the orthodoxy of the far left, of certainly of Antifa, that fascism is an inevitable product of capitalism, and capitalism and fascism are inextricably linked. And the, and obviously, therefore, capitalism is ultimately a, a form of oppression, it's a, it's a, or a system of oppression. But it's interesting, I think, the point I think he's making, that, that it's a strategy rather than an ideology, is an important one. It's not a philosophy. It's a, mo- it's a way of being. It's an action rather than a, th- than a, than a, than a philosophical approach. And it's an, it, ultimately, it's a tr- while it, they say fascism, it's, ulti- it's ultimately an attack on capitalism. And then from that, at that point, you know, many rivers run. Yeah, I mean, it, it comes from the, the Marxist belief that Capitalism would give way to communism, and that seemed to be happening in a certain part of the 20th century, and the Russians particularly. And then fascism started to arise, and then it was seen as this reactionary movement to um, to stop the movement of capitalism into communism. Yeah. And that just wasn't a thing we could do. But it was, it, it was an interesting thing uh, that you can still see today, is that anti-fascistic action spent most of their time kicking the shit out of social democrats because they were in power and they mm-hmm. were also they were they were a pro-capitalist party which meant they were fascists so weirdly enough anti-fascism in the run up to world war 2 or run up to the nazi takeover of germany yeah they didn't like the nazi party but they spent a great deal more time dealing with the social democratic party the spd now the spd did have a um a paramilitary front called the Iron Front, which, yeah, is a very, very kind of fascist-sounding name. I think you should all of the political parties in Germany during the Weimar ultimately had some kind of a paramilitary wing. To we should not imagine yeah. that these were versions of Ogre or Young Fine Gael. It was a very different kind of politics. It, it is kind of funny that there's an or- there was an organisation called the Iron Front, and that, well... Who's it made of? And it's mostly social democrats, trade unionists, and um, your classical liberals. And their goal is to t- defend democracy against totalitarian um, totalitarianism 
on the right and the left. So it was against the, the Nazis and the Communist Party, which is, I think, where, when you look at the public presentation of Antifa, is where most people think they are. But they've never been against left totalitarianism. If we look again in the run-up to the the run-up to the Second World War, I mean, obviously the most famous example of the relationship between, you know, there's the old phrase, no enemies to the left. Well, sometimes it can be no friends to the left as well. When we look at the experience of uh, the smaller left-wing groups in, the, in Spain during the Civil War, when uh, the, the Republicans or the, the Orthodox Marxist position and they weren't. They couldn't kill Franco's guys. They well, they were perfectly happy to go out and kill all the anarchists when they got a chance. Um, as I think you were mentioning earlier, Gary, which was not something that enthused Orwell's uh, Orwell's experience of the Spanish Civil War. But I suppose what we're, we're getting to is a point earlier than maybe I thought we would, which is ultimately if you're in if you're in Antifa, everybody's a fascist except you. And we saw this recently with the, and one of the reasons we wanted to talk about it, was the thing with the Birkin. And they did this little sting and they got people to come out and they presented themselves as an Antifa group. Mm -hmm. And they had people pass them names or promise them names. And one of the reactions we saw was people mostly associated with Antifa going, well, if you're an anti-anti-fascist, what does that make you? (laughs) And you're sort of like, oh, that's a good line, lads. Well played. And the problem then is, well, what do you mean? by fascist. And the problem with Antifa has always been everyone else. Yeah. Um, I mean, they were largely against... One of the, the... one of the They were set up largely against the Iron Front. But the Iron Front was massively against the Nazi party. In fact, the, the Iron Front, you you may have seen... I don't know if you've seen this, Michael, the, the three arrow symbols. Yes. It's, it's the, the symbol of the, uh, of the Iron Front was basically an arrow to the heart of three different circles. And one circle is the monarchy, one circle is the swastika, and one circle was the hammer and sickle. And it was, we're against, it's just, it was an anti-totalitarian symbol from the start. Antifa's symbol, no, not really, uh, doesn't actually, weirdly enough, because now every time you see it, it involves like a, a swastika crossed out or something. Didn't really care that much about the Nazis when they started. Mostly just beating up social democrats and trade unionists. I, I would say that they did at least occasionally beat up actual Nazis. Oh, they did, yeah. While they may have called them fascists, the Nazis were Nazis and the fascists were fascists. Just, uh, it's a thing that, as you know, just slightly, it's one of my little ticks. The Italian fascism is a, is, a, is a deeply different thing to German National Socialism. Retweets should not be taken as an endorsement. I'll just put it this way. If anybody's interested in actually talk, what Italian fascism was, there's a couple of things you might just, on the face of it, consider. That Gentile was the philosopher of Italian fascism and had a close relationship with, with Benedetto Croce and was considered to be an important philosopher at the European level. The philosopher of National Socialism was Rosenberg who was an absolute prat and quack and nonsense. The philosopher of fascism was not Gary Julius Evola, much more closely to Nazism. So there is an intellectual content there, which is important. But more broadly, the point I want to make, we're talking about anti-fascistic action, which is in the 1930s in Germany. I don't think that we should uh, imply from that that there is some kind of direct apostolic succession from that uh, antifascistic action to the Antifa of today in the same way as like our our friends in Sinn Féin 
in Ireland 2020 would like to believe that they are in a direct, unbroken line back to Arthur Griffiths, when plainly Sinn Féin of today is a very, very different party to the party of Griffiths. They they emotionally hearken back. They do, they, they, yes, they emotionally hearken back. Anti-fascistic action was commonly known as Antifa at the time. They've also taken this symbol of it, which was the uh, two flags in a circle. And I think they've also taken the um, the very wide definition of fascism to be pretty much anyone on the right or on the left who is opposed to them. They've also, what by adopting the historical garb of this group, but they're, they're doing something which is very politi- politically or propagandistically useful. Their enemy is, nas- is, is fascism. Their en- enemy are the Nazis. And their job is to stop the Nazis being successful. And by that historical reference, we get this, you know, their job is to stop Hitler, the next Hitler. Now, if your job is to stop Hitler, then you can do pretty well anything. Mm. There is actually one thing, one thing that very much amused me about anti-fascistic action. And just to give an idea of what these people were like. To them, yes, the Nazis were fascists, but the SPD actually had power. And the Nazis were, while fairly extreme, even by fascist standards, also a lot of the fascists came from the left. So uh, you did see instances of Antifa working with the Nazis. Most notably, I think, in there was a... They tried to bring down the Prussian government in 1931. It was called the Landtag Referendum. And <laughs> it was it was held with the support of the Nazi party and the Communist Party, together. Very good. <clears throat> mm, because they weren't the SPD, and that made it good. And you're, you're, you're putting a finger on something which is very important with Antifa of today, which is, <clears throat> if you're in power, you are an oppressor. It is an, it is an axiom of their beliefs that whoever is in power is an oppressor. Now... I would say that the world view of contemporary Antifa is certainly informed by Marx, but there's a fair big lump of critical theory in there as well, and Frankfurt School. The most obvious saint of modern Antifa, I suppose, is Marcuse, because if nothing else, the um, the Antifa is not, they are, they're agreed on hating capitalism, right? But it's a far more broad. It used to be capitalism, sexism, and classism were the three central note, driving notions of the of the of the less of the radical left in the in the thirties, right? Now that's been broadened out with the advent of intersectionality brought on through the postmodernist thing and the, the and the critical approach. And Marcuse is the father of that. And one of the central things that people need to understand about Antifa is there is the way they understand things like democracy and tolerance and rights. They do not believe in rights theory or human rights in the way that liberals do. They simply don't. They do not believe that you and I have rights in the same way as a person who is oppressed by the system have rights. We powerful, obviously you and I carry, we're very powerful people because we are white males and part of the hegemony part of the patriarch. I suppose one of the areas where the, the Antifa t- today are most, are most active is in stopping people speaking, yeah? Deplatforming people, yeah. keeping people off campus. Sometimes using peaceful protest, sometimes using a bike lock to the back of the head. 
sometimes the bike locked to the back of the who was that after what they discovered who that was was it you know, i think that ended up being a university professor it was a professor it was a university professor i think it was yeah the times do you remember the do you remember the, the that fabulous bit of clip, clip where the, the the woman professor the lady professor was i think she was a professor was had was was looking for some muscle. There was a guy there. I don't know with a camera or with sim just a camera phone. And he was, oh he was, yeah, we want some muscle to get this guy out of here. Yeah, there you are. There's your liberal. Yeah, oh, you you actually you actually like this. So for the listener, what we're talking about is there was a it's not a free speech rally in Berkeley in I think 2017, and some guys started going around using a a, a bike lock, you know, like the to attack people, so, you know, lock at the end of a chain. And um, it turned out he was a philosophy professor from East Bay College. <laughs> I mean... Going around. That was something philosophers should have gotten to earlier. Why don't we just beat our opponents in the head with a bike lock, like a long piece of metal? You know, well, they did, in a kind of way, with Socrates, I suppose, didn't they? Um, and Nijin. Was it, was it Pythagoras who got stabbed by Roman soldiers? Um, Pythagoras, or was it Archimedes? Could have been Archimedes. I know Archimedes was responsible for designing the defences of Syracuse and some weird, I mean, you know those designs that Leonardo da Vinci came up with? It's a bit like that. There was one thing he had, which was, it was this, it was a thing, it was like this thing that used to stick out over the, the walls of the city, which the city was built on the sea, and it would kind of pick up sailing ships. And turn them over and throw them up in the air. Yeah, I it. It, wasn't, it wasn't like a crane, but it would get under them. Yeah. And it would lift the ship up. And then when the ship was out of the water, it couldn't hold its own weight and it would snap in half. And then there was, uh, he, he had this, he, he like, was it mirrors there that were rod, yeah, rod, so not they, lenses? Yeah, they didn't have glass. So they'd polished They didn't have glass, rods. but he was meant to have, to have built a, a tower with a... Um, with a polished top on it that could direct sunlight into effectively a laser. You know, and burn it, it, ships. Burn ships. <laughs> anyway, this is not to the point. <laughs> I love that. I mean, the story of the Barclay story is brilliant because for anybody who's not aware, Bark, Bark University, Berkeley in California was also the beginning in the 1960s of the free speech movement and the notion in the 60s of absolute freedom of speech and abs- let it all hang out and nothing was... But they don't believe in free speech because they, in the Marcusean world... That unless you have perfect equality within society, then freedom of speech becomes a tool of oppression. So that they free speech is they in from their perspective is a form of is oppressive tolerance. And well, free speech is hate speech, and hate speech is not free speech. Hate speech is not just free speech. That's certainly the case. That uh, of course, because as these are the people you want defining hate speech, because they define fascism so well. Marcuse says, what is proclaimed and practiced as tolerance today is in many of its most effective manifestations the cause of the oppression. He says that liberating tolerance might seem apparently undemocratic, but he justifies using repression and indoctrination to advance the agenda of a subversive majority. Now, okay, it's a little bit undemocratic, but we can use repression and indoctrination to advance the agenda of the subversive market. Now, the axiomatic in all of this is that whoever is in power is corrupt and is oppressive. What never seems to... 
a card to the lads is what what does that mean when the left is in power yeah there is there is the sort of oppressors or these people are oppressors and will use violence and that's bad but we will use violence and it will be good because no one else could think that what they're doing is good and the thing is, to the extent to the extent that these this kind these kinds of groups are important i suppose it is important that we understand that people will ascribe to them beliefs and about the world or about human treatment that uh, human relations that they simply don't have because they just assume that oh we all believe this we all believe in free speech we all believe in the dignity you know the dignity of the other they do not explicitly they do not believe in the dignity of the other if the other is part of the oppressive minority they don't believe in they explicitly reject the notion that you can advance through legal methods. If you look at, say, the civil rights movement or feminism or any of the progressive movements of the 50, starting in the 50s and mostly the 60s and 70s, most of the big advances they took place in the law courts or through the mechanism or through legislation. These guys reject that because they say that the law again, all of this is they say is just a cover up. It's a fiction. It's that the law is in fact a tool of repression itself and can never be used to uplift the oppressed minority. That the oppressed minority always have the right to use violence against their oppressors. They don't believe in free speech. They don't believe in human rights. They don't believe in property. They don't believe any of the things that you think they might believe. I've always, I've always quite loved when. Um because they pop up a lot on free speech, and they're very fond of what's called the paradox of tolerance, which annoys me because it's not a paradox. It's actually fairly reasonable. It was, it was a thing Karl Popper said. And firstly, if you're quoting from Karl Popper as you know, your philosophical lodestone, you've already lost most arguments. Uh, he said he said that in order to maintain a tolerant society, the society must be intolerant of intolerance which is, again, not a paradox. It just says that there are limits to tolerance or it becomes self-defeating. And you hear it said a lot by these people. Be fair, be fair, let's be fair to Popper. Let's look at what he actually says. We must be intolerant of intolerance. Now, what he does not say is we must ban intolerance or we must reject, we must uh, make laws against intolerance. We must be intolerant. You know, yeah, I was going to say, Michael, you, uh, you don't, people quote that line. But they don't tend to quote the next line, uh-huh. which is, I do not imply in this formulation that we should always suppress the utterance of intolerant philosophies, as long as we can counter them by rational arguments and keep them in check by public opinion. Suppression would be unwise. Exactly. Popper's point, ultimately, and this would, this makes people on the Antifa left, they laugh at you derisively, derisively, I say this. Popper's point of intolerance is um, is that there should be that you we take a moral position that we are as individuals as moral agents we are intolerant of intolerance that we are socially intolerant so that when it manifests itself before us in our country that we take a stand that we make a statement that we we behave in a way that shows that we don't approve of it and we make it an uncomfortable place and an unprofitable place to be intolerant what we don't do is we don't create a, a legislative framework or rules-based system where we, re- we refuse the right of people to say these things or to behave in this way. Well, there is actually, a, 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 the, the line after that is also actually interesting. We, sh- we should claim the right to suppress them if necessary, even by force. It may easily turn that they are not prepared to meet us on the level 
of rational argument, but begin by denouncing all argument and forbidding their followers to listen to rational argument because it is deceptive, and teach them to answer arguments by the use of their fists or pistols. Ah. It seems to say that if there's a group that resorts immediately to violence, uh, their persecution would be pretty okay to popper. But Antifa opens on violence. Now, if, if, if you tell this to them and you say, well, we should have a discussion, they'll say, oh, yes, because a discussion would have defeated the Nazis, having a bit more of a chat with them. But the interesting thing, when I, I find when they talk about direct action and the need for, you know, if there had been more violence against the Nazis, they would never have taken Germany, is when you look at the history of uh, the Nazi party's attempt at... Um, democratic elections when they were starting one of the things that seems to have been most effective is that the nazis said that they would stop the violence because by that point the parliamentary wings of most of the parties were routinely kicking the shit out of each other on the streets and people weren't terribly happy with it no indeed so in a large part the actual <laughs> the direct action of anfastic action uh, of Antifa against, well, mostly the SPD rather than the Nazis, was a core part of the Nazis coming to power. It was one of the things they were able to do to sell themselves as a reasonable force to the general population. <laughs> you know, but the notion that violence in Germany begins with the Nazis, uh, politically, is just such nonsense. Pretty well, the, the ink is not dry in Versailles when the, there are, you find the... the Revolutionary violence is breaking out all over in in pockets all across across Germany, and the left, the the communist left, the revolutionary left, had absolutely no qualms about opposing the force of reaction with fists and with spanners, and occasionally even with pistols across. Not just it wasn't just in Germany, but law and order. I mean, the the ultimate, the, 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 it's the failure of Weimar to be able to control the discipline and to impose law and order. And that's what the Nazis, in a, in a sense, they come in in the, in a very classical right wing, on <laughs> very right wing platform. In that they they one of the things they promise is law and order. And the Germans apparently are people who like a bit of law and order. We will stop the running street battles that have been happening. And people were like, yeah, that actually sounds pretty solid. I'd like a day where people are just not beating each other. The, mm. the, the, and that had been going on. I mean, that had been going on for, at that stage for 10 years. The Nazis themselves have, had, of course, had been... It's hypocritical. The Nazis themselves have been involved in it right from... God, when was the putsch? The Munich putsch? 2021, 20, 22, something like that? I mean, proper old-fashioned bang-bang violence. I, I do. I, I, I know we've, we've moved on from the... Um, from the Antifa, the original Antifa and Talman, but I do love... Have you ever heard the slogan of the SPD from 1932? I have they, not. When they not had to my memory. So you've you got to put this in it. The KPD worked with the Nazi party. They considered anything that was against Stalin anti-fascist. So the core of the anti-fascist group, the people who now say they will save us from a resurgence of fascism, looked at the literal Nazi party and went, I mean, they're bad. But they're not social democrats. Yeah, in fairness. But. They're not Russian short. Yeah, and now they're like, no, we should be trusted to determine fascism. But in the 1932 um, election, so they had their three arrows symbols, <laughs> but their slogan was against Papen, which is von Papen, um, or Franz Joseph von, it's like a dozen names. 
Uh, he was generally known as Franz von Papen. He was a conservative German politician. Yeah. Uh, who was Chancellor of Germany. Uh, against Papen, Hitler, Talman. So against the conservatives, Hitler, and the communists and Antifa. That was the social democratic slogan. <laughs> yeah, they weren't against So much. really, the only people... The only people in Germany who actually went, lads, these Nazis, like, this isn't a great thing, were the Social Democrats who were spending most of their time being beaten by anti-fascists. <laughs> yeah, well. And that is, I suppose that is the problem when you define fascism as this very amorphous, pro-capitalist, or even just not on your side. It's a great example of a, 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 a way of being that doesn't really allow friends who don't agree with you. You can kind of have useful idiots, but not friends. In the United States, not so much here, but in the United States, from whence it hath come to, the Antifa is all about the white supremacy, right? Mm. Destroying the advent of the white supremacy, the coming white supremacy, and the the actual white supremacy. And this is the thing. The imaginative success of these groups is because they're, they're basically campaigning dragons. Dragons and ogres and trolls, you know? It's as, uh, as if somebody had decided we're going to run a political platform. We're going to run the election. What's your principal policy? Our principal policy is the extirpation of pixies and fairies from all of the uh, all of the land south of the Shannon. And people might say, but aren't pixies and fairies made up? Oh, typical. Typical of the, the voice, the reaction of the press, which is in thrall to the pixies and fairies. The reality is they have created a monster. They've created an enemy, which effectively doesn't exist. Has there been a time in America when the Ku Klux Klan has had fewer members? No, it's it's one of the interesting things. As as rates of racial incidences have fallen, and as tolerance has gone up markedly, Americans in general have become way more sensitive about it. I think possibly because it's now so much rarer. But you've also seen the growth of identitarian movements, of which Antifa would generally would say they are not one, but in America particularly, uh, given their focus on white nationalism, they kind of are. Um, well, if, if, if it works in that in that universe where you score pro- points for of, of of oppression, and in that identitarian, well, in identitarian in the sense of intersectionality, where you 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 log up points on gender issues, sexual issues, racial issues, whatever it is, point, oppression points. And the more oppression points you are, the more right you have to be give go around people, hitting people on the back of the head with a bike lock. I mean, can we, yeah, can we also talk about how many of these people are, when you're, like, when you see some of these people dragged out and, you know, they, they end up in courts and you have, like, a biography of them, many of these people are profound losers. They, to me, the re, uh, one of the more interesting questions about it because it, there's there's not much interesting about them is where do they come from? I mean, what what why do they exist? What is the psychological drive? There was a movement across uh, this in the seventies across Europe where you saw the advent of the of middle class kids getting involved in radical leftist terror groups. You know, the Bader Meinhof gang, I suppose, was the most famous. The Red Brigades in Italy, where you have these children of the bourgeoisie, and it there did seem to be that for some of them it was really it was a reaction to a, a deep sense of ennui. They were just fundamentally bored. They'd been given everything, and it wasn't quite enough. And they liked the excitement, the kick, the power 
of the violence. And in, the, in those cases, you're talking about violence unto death. So there's a weird, maybe even a weirder psychopathology at work there. Where do they come from? But also, when is the when is, shall we say, the legitimate left going to make a decision that these people are not acceptable? Well, I mean, this is the thing, and this is... I mean, I was looking at Michelle Byrne, the USI vice president, resigns due to saying she'll pass names and students and give legal aid to a group presenting itself as an Antifa group, which openly tells her it wants to hurt those students. And I, she resigns, and then I go and look on Twitter, and there are left-wing counsellors uh, congratulating her and saying she'll be missed, saying she's powerful. And this is the thing about the left. If you are on the right, neo-Nazis are not people you deal with. You don't tend to want to deal with fascists. There's very remember, little tolerance for it. Do you remember there was as a, the Burkean themselves found out? Yes. Do, do you remember during the, there some months ago there were these oh free speech protests out in front of the doll, and then there were these counter demonstrations where uh, a motley or crew of left wing organizations and NGOs and charities got together to demonstrate against the free speech people and there was a, a certain there was antifa were present at that at some of those weren't they i remember there were people yes, in there were antifa the yeah now take there were, for example there were banners there were banners and that happened on a couple at least a couple of occasions on that and then there have been other incidents other incidents where there have been marches or protests and where they've been. I have seen or heard no attempt of any group to distance themselves from that. You had a, you, at that meeting, at that protest, I remember Trokera, for example. Yes, Trokera at it. I think Amnesty International were at it. It was a, it was a who's who of NGOs and uh, Sarod as well, if you remember. Who? Remember the okay. uh, the fringe Republican the fringe Republican group who are tied to the oh, people yes, who yes, killed yes, Laura yes, McKee. Yes. They the, were there. People, the people who murdered the, Laura McKee. So you had you you had Trocra masked masked antifists who don't believe in the right of free speech for anyone because they've redefined it to suit their political ends, and then Republicans linked to the murder of a journalist opposing a free speech demonstration, which was fantastic to see, Michael. Because, no. as with many things around Antifa, kind of just helpful to other people. Because Dang they it. look bad and they're violent. You you know, neither you nor I are typically any, the kind of people who go marching or joining the protest, you know. We tend to uh, we tend to wait for the people we'll give them a cup of tea and buzzwords afterwards. But imagine, Gary, you and I were at a meeting protesting about something and somebody unrolled... A fascist, or a, shall we say, a swastika flag, and started waving it around the, the gaff. Would you hang around? Mm. No. No, no, God, no. Yeah, he just wouldn't. You, there, you have two choices. You can either get them out of there, or you get out. Because people on the right know there are certain things you cannot do, certain things you cannot tolerate, certain kinds of attitudes you can't have. And I mean, I could understand. I, from what I remember, the it's a weird thing in that I've seen Antifa... Flying the three arrows, which was the the SPD symbol, which is weird because they they oppose the SPD. But I have seen it used as a symbol of particularly American Antifa, and particularly people who I think just don't really have any idea what they're doing. No, but it's graphically strong. But if it, it's it's really graphically strong, and it covers up swastikas quite nicely, which was apparently part of why it was designed that way. But I don't think it was that. I think it was it was the flags. 
which are just the standard anti-fire symbol. Yes. The standard anti-fire symbol, which was uh, designed, and this I, I always do love this one, by two members of the Association of Revolutionary Visual Artists. Oh, well, there you go. Max Kielsen and Max Gebhardt. The Association of Regards, it makes you feel better about the world, doesn't, doesn't it, to make you think that there was an Association of Revolutionary Artists? Probably still is. Probably still getting money from the EU to do installation. God help us. Subsidising the arts, that's, that's a subject for another day. There was, there was, I mean, I can think of no mainstream right political event um, in my memory at which fascist imagery has been flown. Absolutely Because not. it would be cut out. But also, Gary... I mean, the Birkin, the Birkin, the Birkin, one of the lads in the Birkin wrote an article which was deemed to be uh, either race science or racist. And many prominent conservatives in Ireland, who until that point had a pretty good relation with them, called them out publicly. Oh, yeah. Uh, and distanced themselves from it. But with the left, the Antifa, I don't think, I think it's largely because the left has never had any great urge to police itself. It doesn't. It absolutely just it's simply never doesn't. Uh, and I, I think a core belief there is the left does not believe that there is a need to do so. Because if you say, well, what about the extreme ext- expressions of leftist positions? For many people on the left, they may not say this out loud or say it, on the hustings at an election, it seems to me that they fundamentally harbour the belief that, well, you know, if we got there, would it be such a bad thing? They, if you, this is something Jordan Peterson has said. I think in this case, he's, or this he's, he's right. There is an inability of if you ask people, where is the point at which you on the left say stop? No, that's too far. That's unacceptable. That is excessive. And I think many people on the left have a problem with that. No, on the right, people don't. Now, I'm sure the people on the left would say that people on the right should stop, say stop far sooner, but then I, that's just that's a different opinion. Many of them might say that you should stop, say stop, before you get into the right-wing politics. At, at all, at all. One of the reasons, Gary, so you haven't, sorry, that you haven't seen the fascist banners, etc., is because I, there are probably 50 fascists in Ireland, or near 50. 150 neo-Nazis, maybe, in the whole of the country. There was an incidence, there was an instance at which someone at one of the free speech rallies walked from the other side of the street, where the anti-fascist, or swear, walked towards the protesters, gave a zig heil, and he was just shouted away by the protesters. And I think the general idea was that he was like a very obvious plant. Yeah. Just designed to give a, a view of, well, there's someone giving a zig heil from the... It was uh, something for a photograph for the Times the next day. You know, a bit like if there's a, a pro-life movement, you have to have a, a photograph of a, an elderly, two elderly nuns or somebody carrying a statue. So that would have been... A, a, it's a, a nice, classic. It's a classic. And you know, Gary, you don't do away with the classics. Gript reached out to a lot of those charities after that. Partially just to say, you know, why were you why are you counter-protesting a free speech rally? Um, but also to ask them why they were standing beside people who were linked to the murder of a journalist. Uh-huh. And, uh, Michael, like I tell you, a lot of that silence following that question. That was genuinely question. shocking. Because whatever Antifa in Ireland has done, to be that, that, that was the murder of, a, of, a young, of, of that young woman, that was horrifying. And this group were... And I, I, I only noticed them, I believe, because I think they had a banner. And they have quite a distinctive symbol. They do, yeah. Yeah, it's the uh, it's the sunburst with the red star in it because, like all 
Like all good, violent parties, they are, of course, uh, on the left. It's the Socialist Red Star. And the Sunburst. It harkens back to a flag from the teens or the 20s, I think. that I've, I've seen that flag somewhere before, but with a plough in it, I think. Sorry? I, I was going to say the... Um because it turns up in the in the 1910, 1920, it's um, it was a nationalist youth group called the FINA. All right. And the FINA Aaron. Uh, but I I, mm, I don't think I've seen it with a plough in it. And the Irish Republican Brotherhood flag, of course, was just a, a half a sunburst on a green flag. But uh, no, not with a plough. Half that might mm. have been it. Lots of. It, there were, it was used on several um, during the Civil War. It was used not our Civil War, the American Civil War. Irish regiments would usually use a sunburst on their standards. So go. it could have been from that. Yeah, could have been. Yeah, uh, The Communist Party of Ireland also uses it. Anywho, I suppose if in this discussion the point, you want to leave the, the listener with one thing, it's that you should not assume that these people share any of the values. that You, you should not assume that people on the left automatically believe in the concept of human rights. Many on... If you're, if you're a proper Marxist, you don't believe in human rights. And you certainly, if you're a post-Marxist, if you're uh, a, a Frankfurt School kind of fella, or a Marcusean type of guy, or the, the, the Antifa guy, they, they do not believe in... Uh, they do not believe in human rights in the way that you do. They don't believe in the nature of what we call... Marcuse calls the sacred liberalistic principle of equality for the other side. There are issues whether there is others. There is no other side. He talks liberating tolerance would mean an intolerance against movements from the right and toleration of movements from the left. So it punch isn't up. a question. Don't punch Sorry? down. Punch up, don't punch down. They don't. They don't. The, the, another another stage of the philosopher says we the notion of the inevitable dignity of the dignity of the other is a liberal nonsense. They don't. They this is. They don't believe in free speech in the same sense that people, historically, liberals. And I'm talking about liberals here, genuine liberals. I'm not talking about conservatives. Old-fashioned liberals, 19th century Whigs, the people in that John Stuart Mill tradition of liberalism. The kinds of things that they believe, they may be these days on the left and progressive, but they do not share the same value. They piggyback on on those values. They piggyback on, on the tolerance of those people. But they are fundamentally different. And also... And this, I, this is the question I would go back. I, I throw back to you, Gary. Because the thing, where do they come from? I, what is the pr- the problem to which they want to find the solution? What is the question they want to find the answer? Because it seems to me ultimately they are answering questions that don't exist. And nobody's asking. It's a there's a they are a response to a crisis that hasn't that doesn't exist. There is there is a quote that they may actually some of them may actually know. As the old is dead, but the new has not yet uh, cannot yet be born, or the old yes. is dying and the new cannot yet be born. Mm-hmm. So it's from um, the prison notebooks of um, Antonio Gramsco. And yeah, I think that they do have a general sense that things are changing, but I think they also misread what that change is. Um, and weirdly enough, in the same way that communists thought the fascism was the last defense of a dying capitalism, in many ways, I think the Antifa are just kind of the last sting of a very bourgeoisie old world that is changing due to technology and demographic change and things like that, but doesn't really understand how it's changing yet. Um, And they'll fade in time, mostly because when you look at these people, 
they're not terribly impressive for the most part. No, they could get some impressive people, but they're not really... Like, they tend to be young, college-educated. In 1922, if you went into a beer hall in Mun- in, Berlin- in, Mun- in Munich, you probably wouldn't have thought they were very impressive either. No, you wouldn't have. You know, I I I I agree with you. I, I, having said that, I do I I I agree with you. I just we should be completely complacent. I think there's a, I think they're speaking from a a kind of a, a generalized anxiety, maybe within. You know that phrase from Nietzsche. You know that there's a quote, famous quote from Nietzsche that occurs to me in this kind. He says, "Beware that when fighting monsters, you do not become a monster. For you gaze long into the abyss. The abyss. The abyss." Gazes also into you. Now, I don't imagine these are lads that read a whole lot of Nietzsche. Oh, I don't know. A lot of them. I, I, I've noticed a lot of these guys are not. They're not working class no, people. No. They tend to be college educated, middle class to upper middle class people, uh, which are always fun to see raging against the, <laughs> the oppression, um, of, yeah. oppression and the bourgeoisie. Yeah. And then uh, you find that they, they go home to, you know, their parents... Very lovely house. No, I, it's not yeah. that. It's, and I can say that because I come from a working class background, so it's a whole fine. It's not. A, I, I don't doubt that they're capable. It's just that these kinds of lads very often just regard Nietzsche as a wrong thinker, and therefore you just don't. They don't read him the wrong kind. Of. They should read some Max Stirner. Engels liked Max Stirner until until he told Marx he liked Max Stirner, and Marx basically started beating him. <laughs> Well, I've always said, as you know, Gary, the problem with Nietzsche is all the people, the people who should reach Nietzsche, who should read Nietzsche never do, and the people who shouldn't always, always are the ones that, that read him. Michael, to, to, to close on, on a question, a line. So, you're saying earlier that one of the things these people tend to do, if you say you're against them, is that, well, if you're an anti-anti-fascist, uh, you know, what are you? <laughs> I think, you know, obviously, you're a fascist then. Yeah. Uh, to them, anyway. But I was wondering if you have a response to that or an answer to that question. If you're an anti-anti-fascist, what are you? I don't know. I'm a clown in the circus. It's it's not. A, it 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 it's just a, it's just it's the kind of thing that a teen. It's the kind of thing that might impress a fourteen-year-old. I don't know. It but the notion that it's yeah, and they do say this, and it's you know that quite the old journalistic cliche. Have you stopped beating your wife? Or when did you stop beating your wife? Rather, sorry. When did you stop? Mm. When did you stop beating your wife? Obviously, there's not. It's it's very tedious. You just you reject the premise. But I remember this is probably nothing to do with it. But something along the lines. I was at a meeting some time ago when, at the end of it, a very earnest lady came up to me, and she wanted to tell me about you. You you might know about this. It's a pl- plan. Is it Plan 2020? Something else. And there's a couple of them going around at the moment. This was a, this was very popular at the time. It, it's it's a it's what it, it's a, it's just a modern world government conspiracy theory, you know. And she's telling me very earnestly about it. And I, you know, you're you're faced with it, that kind of problem. What do you do? You can be rude and just say you're a looper. Feck off. Or you can nod and go, I see. That's very interesting. But that feels like you're kind of being complicit. You can talk to them about it, which is frankly pointless. So I have decided, I have adopted a new position, which is she. At the end of it, she explained it all, and she said, "What do you think?" I, so I looked at her, and I slightly curled my lips. Twenty twenty. Do you know what you know about twenty twenty? The only thing you know about twenty twenty is what you've been told. And I just walked off immediately and left her baffled and confused. 
but now wondering that if there was actually another conspiracy underneath 2020, which is being hidden by 2019. 2019 or 2021, you never know. So, I don't know. Um, no, because I, th- I think it's one of those weird things that you assume the answer to is so obvious that it just kind of, when someone asks you, say, what? Okay, how about saying just a revolutionary? What are you if you're anti-anti-fascist? A revolution. I mean, that could work. And then just turn up. Never... Then you must go. When you give an answer to a situation like this, you turn your heel and you go. You never hang around. Because these, this is, let's face it, this is not a dialogue. No, I don't think they seriously want an answer from you. But it, it does. I mean, it's... Uh... <coughs> anyway, it is what it is, I suppose. Yeah. I, 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 mean, I think you're right. I think the only way is to, is to reject the premise. Because what these people define as fascism is so broad. Also, it's a weird phrasing. There's only a certain type of person who refers to themselves or the or their ideology as anti-fascism. I am, Other yeah. people say things like, well, I would be against fascism. They never say anti-fascism. Also, to define yourself in a purely negative sense is rather a strange thing. Rather than to define yourself as a liberal or a conservative or a, a social democrat or a Marxist or a, a Gaelic eco-Christian commutarian, which is, of course, what myself and Gary are, to define yourself... In, in, in this simply negative way, it's very odd. Well, I mean, they don't have a lot else. No, they don't. Not much else. There's but no, still, there's no uniform, there's no uniform cohesive thing there. Unless you want to go into full-on communism, in which case, you know, more power to you. Yeah, but the, no, uh, it's very hot these days. But there is a uniform, and black is slimming and cheap. So, you know, it's, it's a, listen, I think we'll we we'll leave it there. We will return on the Wednesday and. Until then, we'd like to wish our listener a good week and stay safe. Of course. And remember, do not pay attention to people dressed entirely in black who tell you you've got to do what they want you to do for your own safety and they'll use violence against you if you don't, regardless if those people are fascists or antifa. <laughs> and it may be difficult to tell them apart at first glance, unless they're wearing armbands. <laughs> Bye-bye. All the best.